0: They called it Black Monday. No shit.
1: What's happening, everyone? Welcome into the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Uh, Bush and Nick coming at you with another black Monday. We're talking another redraft strategy type video today. Um, not a lot of player analysis in this one. This is going to be more of how to draft and how to construct, uh, specifically, uh, the bench of your roster. Um, Nick, how you
0: doing? Yeah, doing good. Uh, like we were kind of talking about earlier, this is going to be one of those that there's not many stats to really back up what we're talking about. A lot of what we'll be talking about today is kind of just experience and, uh, the more that you play, the more that you kind of learn these specific things. And so this is stuff that we can kind of pass on this anecdotal evidence of who's winning, how to win and uh, what we do to basically optimize your roster.
1: Yeah. And this is, this is for, I mean, especially this is for beginners. If you're only, if you've only played fantasy for a year or two, maybe this is your first year playing. Um, This is definitely for you. This will definitely help you. I, I still play, I play in home leagues with people that have been playing fantasy for five years and they still don't do some of this uh they could use some of this advice so definitely definitely valuable advice um we'll hit the intro and then we'll get right into this are you ready jim i'm ready just want to make sure you're ready brother
0: show me the money
1: All right. So a couple questions we, we start, we basically, we broke this down with a lot of common questions. I, I, I fielded the questions out to some of my buddies that I'm in leagues with and also to our discord as well. And, um, one, one of the question that came to my head first that I didn't actually field out, but it's, it's important. So I I wanted to discuss kind of parameters that what is this all dependent on? So how you construct your bench is going to be dependent on a couple things. One, you, you want to know what your league, like your, how your league behaves if it's if you've been in a, a home league or a school league or a work league with uh, for multiple years with multiple with people that have you know how kind of they draft and how they play fantasy, that's really important. Second is your league settings. so obviously, if you're in a, a league that has like no flex spots like you start two running backs, two receivers, you don't need to have a lot of depth on your team because you only start like four or five uh, running backs and receivers. whereas if you're in a league with five flexes and like a super flex and two receivers like three running backs like whatever the case is you're gonna you're obviously gonna need a lot of um players that you can actually start can, like being that you have to like have five flex spots um and then super flex or non-super flex obviously uh is a big deal because in terms of a one quarterback league um most home leagues i would say roster more quarterbacks than they should in a non uh, a non-super flex but Yeah, Superflex will definitely determine how many quarterbacks are rostered because you pretty much have to roster two or three
0: in a Superflex. Yeah, yeah. And on top of league settings, I would say also obviously league scoring. You know, you want to kind of figure out is it PPR, half PPR, standard, which is kind of archaic, but some people are still doing it. Uh, Figuring out point per carry or if it's tight end premium. I mean, all of these things are super important towards just kind of like who is going to be better, especially if you look kind of down the wide receiver charts, that's when PPR, you know, that can take one receiver like a Jarvis Landry and bump him way higher than he would be in a standard league, even like a DJ Moore or something. So knowing your settings and just kind of knowing how that all kind of applies to the scoring.
1: Yeah. And when it comes to constructing your bench specifically in PPR formats, guys that are kind of waiver wire dwellers might be like very startable assets, like Tariq Cohen, like Naheem Hines, like guys like this, you can actually like, you could start them pr- like with pretty decent confidence actually too. If, if it's a full PPR versus a standard, obviously you're not going to be wanting to start guys like that in a standard league. Um, another thing is if your league has defenses and kickers, just don't draft them. At like the, if you take one thing away from this video, do not draft defenses and kickers. Any league that you're in, doesn't matter how big it is, how novice the players in the league are, do not draft defenses and kickers. Always draft a high upside running back or a handcuff or a receiver that you want to see how he does in the preseason. If you draft like two weeks before the preseason or some, uh, the preseason's over always pick up your defense and pick up your kicker bef- like a day before week one happens based on the matchup.
0: Yeah, totally. Anytime you're drafting a defense and a kicker, you're just taking up a bench spot that could have been used on a guy that, you know, could be a backup running back that maybe his guy gets hurt in the preseason and he takes over and he's got a good workload. Or we see a wide receiver that's kind of popping in the preseason and you've got him on your bench already and, like, ready to go for week one, like he's coming out with the starters. Uh, Really just having a defense and a kicker is always only a negative. Yeah,
1: and I'll give you some examples of some players. Last year, uh, Terry McLaurin, DJ Chark, I know Jacoby Myers was a big – he wasn't really good in the season, but he was a big preseason guy. Like, these type of guys, if you would have gotten them in the preseason instead of taking a defense and kicker, because they were undrafted in, in regular redraft leagues, then you, like, I mean, Terry McLaurin was, like, a wide receiver too last year, and same with DJ Chark. So those guys were, like, legit, like, pieces that you started all year long. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to discuss was league size. Obviously, in a 16-team league, you're going to, like, the, the waiver wire is going to be thin. You're not going to be able to pick up. And Emmanuel Sanders or a Golden Tate or whatever to start in your lineup if you have a bye week or if someone gets injured on your team, where, as opposed to if you're in an eight-team league, where you basically are – your bench should only be for upside at that point because in an eight-team league, you can pick up, like, very, very startable assets on the waiver
0: wire. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you you pretty much hit it there. I mean, the bigger the league, the more players that are rostered, you know, especially depending on how many bench spots you've got. And if there's not players on the waiver wire that you can start or that you can gather as the season goes on, obviously you kind of have to prepare with a little bit more floor. uh, And floor can be upside in that kind of league. But if it's a shallow league, for sure, like wasting a bench spot on a floor guy like a Frank Gore that's going to get you six points is never, ever a good idea, even when a guy goes down with injury on your starting lineup.
1: For sure. And uh, you you kind of touched on it. I'll segue into the next question that I, I got here is, uh, deep bench or shallow bench. If you're a commissioner or if your league wants to vote on it or whatever, which one's better, a deep bench or a shallow bench? So if you're watching this, that means you're probably more advantaged than the people in your league. If it's a home league, if you're in an experts league and you're watching this, then you're probably not more advantaged than them. But if you're, if you're in a home league and you're watching this, a deep bench gives you more of an advantage because because you're watching this channel, you are more knowledgeable than like 80% of your league mates. And a deeper bench means a thinner waiver wire. And I can't tell you how many times in my home league, it has a shallow bench. I always, I always try and vote against it, but I always get overruled. Where the people in my league that are less experienced will pick up players off the waiver wire and throw them into their lineup, not knowing if they're going to be good or not. And they get them 15 points because they caught a 60-yard touchdown.
0: Yeah, 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 that's uh, definitely happened to me before. And it's deep rosters, I think are just more fun, because you kind of get to hit those like deep cuts, and you get to have them on your team, and you get to have more of like my guys, rather than only having to be so selective with your roster spots. There's occasional like upside swings that you can take to be like, all right, like I can hang on to this guy. And uh, yeah, I think it's just more fun all around.
1: Yeah, and obviously this goes kind of hand-in-hand hand with having a lot of flex positions too. I always vote for this. If I could add any any experienced fantasy player or anyone who thinks that at least like perceives themselves to have an advantage in terms of being more knowledgeable than their league mates, you should always be pushing for more flexes because more flexes meaning means that less of your league mates are going to get lucky because they had Christian McCaffrey and you got 40 points for them and won them the entire week. If you got four or five flex spots, it means you actually have to like, know who to start cornerback matchups and, um, streamers. And like, you actually have to legitimately be paying attention week over week, like, like myself and I'm sure Nick uh, can say, we would love that advantage in, in leagues that we play with more novice players.
0: Yeah. Almost every league I play in now is not only a super flex, but really only has one mandatory starter at each position. So like one running back, one wide receiver, one tight end. And then like five or six flexes, you know, and it's just primarily all flexes plus the super flex, just because I think it gives so much more opportunity as far as your drafting strategy goes. Um, And then relating to the bench, it's, you can kind of wrap that all in because you don't have to ever worry about like, okay, so I have to start three wide receivers. So I need to kind of, you know, pencil in this guy and stash this guy it's kind of like i I don't know i think it has so much more skill and also so many routes to win
1: yeah for sure because you could theoretically you could go for a bunch of floor receivers like jarvis landry tyler boyd like larry fitzgerald guys like that and use those all five in your flex spot they all get you 10 points or you could go with will fuller robbie anderson guys like boomer bust receivers and they could get you the same amount of points but in a different way so I definitely like the idea of adding flex spots, especially if you consider yourself uh, to be more of a, uh, like experienced or more knowledgeable fantasy player than your league mates. On to the next question. This one is one I, it it really, this one's really very depending on your league and how your league behaves. So this one you really have to know your league for. And this is, should I draft two or more of either quarterbacks or tight ends? So the onesie positions, I'm not talking about a, a super flex right now, And again, like I said, it depends on the league, but I would say as a general rule, unless 22 plus quarterbacks are owned only roster one quarterback. And so if, if everyone is rostering two quarterbacks, you probably have to roster two because your streaming options are going to be like Sam Darnold, Derek Carr, like Nick Foles. Like you're not going to have the Matt Staffords, the Gardner Minshews, the, drew locks that like you need like if you're in a, a, a league that only rosters like 16 quarterbacks league wide you're gonna have plenty of streaming options week over week as opposed to a league where everyone's rostering two quarterbacks
0: yeah totally i am pretty much of the mind i mean you hit it there in a scenario that you could want two quarterbacks but i'm really of the mind of you need only one quarterback on your roster at all times uh, we'll get into it a little later and how I select that quarterback and who I want to take into in the seat as far as the season goes, but I don't ever like to carry a, a quarterback on my bench, especially because I'm always like the stream and flip.
1: Yeah. And again, like I said, it depends on your league. If you're playing in a, a more experienced league where everyone knows that you shouldn't draft quarterbacks early, even though pro- I would say probably 80% of home leagues still don't know that, which is surprising to me because there's literally a guy on Twitter. whose name is late round quarterback, but um. Yeah. If you, if you play in a league where people value quarterbacks to a fault, I play in a league where people will have Patrick Mahomes on their roster and they'll roster Andy Dalton because they need a quarterback for when Patrick Mahomes is on buy. And I'm not kidding you. People actually do that. So uh, we'll get into tight ends uh, along the same discussion. To me, it's a little different and and here's why it's because I'm a late round tight end guy and tight ends are, are more of a scarce position than quarterbacks. So if I miss on a tight end, yes, I can stream one, but he's not going to be as good as if I missed on a quarterback and I can stream one. So uh, I'm I'm a lot more fine with you rostering multiple tight ends if they're high upside tight ends. So don't roster Jared Cook, Tyler Eifert, and, like, whoever else. Like, guys that don't really have a lot of upside, you're basically just hoping they catch a touchdown. I'm saying roster multiple tight ends. Like, for example, this year, guys like Jonu Smith, Ian Thomas, Hayden Hurst, Mike Gusecki, like roster, like maybe two or three of those guys. And then after like week two, you should know who's a startable asset and who isn't. And you can either trade or, or drop or, or whatever with the rest of them.
0: Yeah, that last part you said was kind of what I was going to go on because that that's how I approach it. Uh, I don't always leave every draft with two tight ends, but depending on how the draft falls and this goes with anything, I like to pick up a second upside tight end kind of at the end and then take him into the season with me. And yeah, like through the preseason and really just through week one, week, maybe week two, I, I pretty much always drop that second tight end because you usually know, like, mm-hmm. okay, this guy's going to get to work and this guy isn't.
1: Yeah, for sure. And this that applies only if you didn't draft a tight end early. If you drafted George Kittle or, or Travis Kelsey, one tight end. Do not roster any yeah. more than one tight end. You only need – don't roster a tight end when you have one of those studs just to fill in for your bye week because – I mean, maybe you have to take the L and start Red Ellison on their bye week or whatever, but it's it's going to be worth it to have that extra bench spot because you have those stud guys. There's no way that you're going to be sitting them. Um, yeah, like I said, I think stashing does apply to all positions. So you can stash. I, I, like, I don't mind stashing a second quarterback if your league like uh, demands it. Same, same goes for tight ends. Um, maybe it's because they're a rookie or because they have a hard schedule at the beginning of the season or – you want to just see what their involve, uh, involvement in the offense is. I'm fine with it, as long as you're not doing it, like, the whole season.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh, I, think, I think as far as, you know, quarterbacks, tight ends, we pretty much hit it. I'm glad you covered that last part, though. Like, the high, if you pick a tight end early, uh, which I don't really think you should, um, but definitely just be okay with on your bye week, like, just starting whoever. You know, like, don't worry about bye weeks. We'll get into this later, but just, just don't worry about them at yeah. all.
1: All right. So another one's another, uh, this is a very popular question. And I know it's popular because I do mock draft lobbies on Yahoo fantasy and NFL fantasy to practice for my own league. And it's, should I fill my starting lineup before I take bench players? And what I mean by this is defenses and kickers are part of your starting lineup as well as your tight end and quarterback slots. So absolutely not, especially if you have kickers and defenses (laughs) in your leagues. Quarterback and tight end as well. You can wait on those positions. High upside running backs, depth running backs, high upside wide receivers. These all trump taking quarterbacks early and tight ends early. Obviously, this is a guideline. If, if, uh, if Patrick Mahomes is there in the fifth round, pick, pick Patrick Mahomes. But generally, unless the value's screaming at you, fill your, your bench with probably two to three out of each of those two positions before you start looking at quarterback and tight end.
0: Yeah, totally. That's kind of what I was going to say. I mean, you can look at how many roster spots you've got with say, running backs and, and say, well, let's just say you're in the eighth round and all you've taken is running backs and wide receivers. That's totally okay. That's typically how a draft's going to go for me. Even maybe into the ninth, 10th, 11th round, I'm still looking at maybe of not taking a quarterback or a tight end. So loading up, don't worry about your starting lineup. Worry about getting the best players and the highest upside players that are going to help you to win. You know, they don't have to be a penciled in starter when you draft them because so much is going to change. Like at the end of the year, you are not going to have the starting lineup that you drafted. You're just not. So like trying to act like you're the perfect drafter that every pick you take is going to be the starter and we're going to win the championship that way. That's, that's not how it works. You know, like you got to give yourself the best chance to win. And to do that, you you have to take the best players.
1: Yeah. And you definitely have to cover your ass too. Especially if you take risky players like I do, I always pick risky players. I like boomer bust players because I'm trying to win a championship. I'm not trying to come in fourth place. So guys like Le'Veon Bell and Todd Gurley don't appeal to me. I'd I'd much rather take guys like Jonathan Taylor instead of those guys, because yes, he's a rookie running back and there's risk with that, but I'll cover my ass later and take Sony Michelle and Ronald Jones and and maybe Jordan Howard or Matt Breida so that I can start guys in front of those guys while they're developing. So definitely depth is very important, especially at running back because running back is the shallowest position in fantasy and you need, you usually need the most of them to be a successful team as well. So um, Nick touched on this earlier, but we'll get into it a little bit more here is should you consider the schedule and also bye weeks when you're constructing your bench? Um, schedule I would consider, but only for certain positions. And uh, we'll, we'll go over bye weeks first, actually, because it's quicker. Bye Bi- re- week weeks are irrelevant to me, like absolutely irrelevant, because your team A is going to change before the, that time comes, and and B, like y- you're going to make trades, you're going to have busts, like you're going to add people on the waiver wire that become starters for
0: you. Like bye weeks are absolutely irrelevant unless you're playing best ball. A hundred percent. And even like, even in best ball, where there is no waiver wire, use it only as a tiebreaker. In my opinion, you know, like it's, it's never something like, Oh, week nine bye. maybe I shouldn't take him because I already have a week nine bye. like, no, like only as a tiebreaker. Otherwise just, just literally don't worry about it in any league format, except for if there's not a waiver wire and then it's only a tiebreaker.
1: Yeah. And then as I said, for schedules, I'll, I'll give you an example. Daniel Jones, if you look at his schedule, It's horrible. He's got hard defenses the first couple weeks of the season. So in my case, like I said, with my, with one of my home leagues, everyone rosters two quarterbacks. So I'm probably going to take Daniel Jones, given that he's my quarterback eight on the season. I really believe in him this year. I'm probably going to pair him with another QB though, that has a easier schedule at the beginning of the year, because I know I'm not starting Daniel Jones against the Steelers and the Ravens and the bills. Like these teams are like our scary defenses. So I don't want anything to do with those guys, but Like I said before, stashing to me, it's okay for all positions. So if you want to stash Daniel Jones, like, like myself, I think Daniel Jones can be like a top six quarterback this year. So I'm okay to stash Daniel Jones and pick up a guy like Gardner Minshew in the last round of my draft, because I know Gardner Minshew has an easy schedule to start the season.
0: Yeah, that's that's how I utilize the schedule. I don't really look past week four, um, yeah. but I do like to look at like weeks one through four and specifically with quarterback, you know, like that's and and I, I kind of apply it to tight end as well, but it's it's mostly quarterback. You know, I'm looking at matchups. Do you have an easy first four weeks? Like I like Matt Stafford the way they start this year, the Lions, and so Matt Stafford's someone I'm looking to target potentially in the late rounds. Uh, and that's, that's kind of how I how I use it. I mean, usually before week four though, if I'm streaming on quarterback, I, I don't even keep them that long because a lot of the times exactly, we end yeah. up being wrong, you know, and it's like, Oh, actually that defense ended up being really good. and We didn't think it was and whatever else, you know? So it, it, it's really, it, it doesn't apply a ton until like on a week to week basis, you know, like kind of when I'm in the season and I'm looking to stream, I'm going to look at like, Oh, okay. He's playing an easy defense tomorrow. But as far as drafting goes, yeah, I would never look past the first few weeks.
1: Yeah. And I would only take it into account if it's like extreme. Like I said, Daniel Jones has like some, some of the best defenses in the league. If they're playing like middle of the pack defenses, like it doesn't matter at all. I'm only talking about like those defenses that didn't have a lot of turnover in the off season. And you know, they're not going to be like all of a sudden bad defenses. Like the Steelers, like we know is going to be a good defense next year. The Ravens, same thing, like Bills, like Niners, like those type of, there's probably only five or six in the league that you actively want to like maybe avoid if your quarterback has two or three of those in the first three weeks.
0: Yeah, Um, totally. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. All right. So uh,
1: this one's another question that I got a lot was uh, should I draft bench players for the sole purpose of trading them? So I'm guessing what they mean by this question is like handcuffs and high upside running backs. So are you going to draft, let's say, um, Alexander Madison for the sole purpose of trading them to the Dalvin Cook owner, either when Dalvin Cook gets injured or just so like you took them so that they couldn't have them and that they would want them from you in kind of a trade package or something. I don't mind doing this, especially if you have, um, if you have deep benches. Because like, if you have deep benches, then you don't mind holding on to handcuffs. If you only have five bench spots, you probably don't want to be drafting Deion Lewis because he's Saquon Barkley's uh, handcuff only probably would you probably only want to do this if you have deep benches and again those guys do have value pollard and madison and chase edmonds and guys like that they have value so they definitely are good even to have on your own team
0: yeah i uh i want to start i guess i'll say that trading is super important if your trade if your league allows it and being good at trading like knowing when to get out from under an asset or knowing when to You know, a guy's at his peak so you can flip him and get extra value and, you know, potentially take yourself to the championship. Uh, With that being said, though, I never take that into consideration when I draft. You know, I'm never thinking like, oh, maybe I can trade this guy. You know, like I'm taking a guy, if it's a late round running back for me, I'm taking him because I believe that he could hit and be a starter for me. You know, and maybe I do end up trading him, but that's not why I draft him. That's, that's kind of how I look at it. It's like, I, if I'm drafting him, it's cause I want the guy. And then if I end up trading him later, great. But that that's, yeah, it, it doesn't apply to drafting.
1: For sure. And, um, this, this is another, like this area of uh, people do this in super flex too. They, they take like five quarterbacks because they know there's only 32 in the league and people have to trade for them. I, I personally wouldn't do this mm. because no, you kind of just assume the best value when you do this. You're like, Oh, I'm going to take Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Carson Wentz. Baker Mayfield and Daniel Jones because people will want these quarterbacks they're all valuable. You're right, but you probably won't get the value back that you are anticipating. Plus, if it's a, like a, a no, more of a novice league and people don't know the value of super flex quarterbacks, you might get even less value
0: than than you are anticipating. And you just you can't predict your league mates. I mean, you take all these guys and you're like, yeah, sure, you don't have to fill your starting lineup right then. But then say that the season hits and no one's giving you the value because they're like, ah, oh, well, I mean, I wanted that guy, but I'm fine sitting where I'm at. I'm not gonna overpay. And what if two uh, of those
1: guys get hurt week one too?
0: Yeah, and you're just you're left holding the bag. It's like, dude, it's it's just not a good move. Never plan to trade.
1: Yeah. Um. All right. So this question's kind of complicated, but I mean, okay. So should I draft bye week fill in type players to stash on my bench? So what I mean is a guy that you intend to use only on your bye week. So. A guy like, like I said, with uh, a guy in my league did was he drafted Patrick Mahomes super high and he drafted like Andy Dalton for, for Patrick Mahomes bye week, which I think was late in the season too. So never like absolutely zero times do this, like never do that, especially with um, bye week type players too. Like you mentioned Frank Gore, Frank Gore is a bye week type player. You only want to be starting Frank Gore. If, like, Aaron Jones and, and Austin Eckler on your team are on a bye week, like, you never want to actually start Frank Gore, so don't draft them. You could pick guys like that up on the waiver wire all season long, especially I'm kind of talking more from, like, a broad topic here, especially if you're in, like, a 12-team league, like a standard 12-team league or less. The waiver wire is going to have plenty of guys that you can use it as a bye week fill-in. Do not draft a guy specifically to fill in for bye weeks.
0: Yeah, totally. Like we kind of covered earlier, it just doesn't, it shouldn't apply, you know, let your league mates try and make that apply to them and they're going to make some mistakes and then other good players are going to fall to you because they're worrying about their bye weeks. Don't, don't let that affect you. There's going to be players down the line. Like when you get there, they can help you out. And that's, that's like a, when you get there thing, it's still several weeks away. There's still so much, like there's so many things that happen, you know, So just, just don't be that guy. Let your teammates do it or your league mates do it. And then, you know, you reap the rewards. Plus
1: they'll probably drop those guys too. Once they start making waiver wire pickups of themselves, they're going to drop guys like Golden Tate, Emmanuel Sanders, Jamison. Maybe not Jamison Crowder. I know some people like him, but guys like that, that aren't going to get like, they're going to probably get you eight points, but they're not going to do anything else. Like people will drop those guys. If they're not starting them, they'll be like, Oh, Chase Edmonds is on the waiver wire. He probably won't be, but just for an example, I'm picking up him instead. Um, mm-hmm. okay. So, uh, okay. So what's the right mix of upside and startable players to draft for your bench? This is kind of a complex question. And this de- hundred uh, percent depends on your league size. So I would say if you're in an eight team league or a, maybe even a 10 team league, hundred percent upside on your bench, 100%. You can pick up guys like, like wide receiver twos on the waiver wire. Like, it's not a big deal at all to have to uh, start a waiver a guy that you picked up off the waiver wire in an 8 team league because it's very likely that your your waiver wire is, is loaded with guys that'll get you like solid points.
0: Yeah, 100% at that point in an 8 to 10 point league, 10 team league, not only can you go, should you go all upside, you can kind of play the matchups at that point off the waiver wire. Like that's how good of players. Like you can get wide receiver 2s going against a nice matchup the next week. Uh, so you should never waste a bench spot on a guy like someone we were just talking about, Frank Gore, Frank Gore, or like the, the Lamar Millers or any Adrian of those, those type of guy. Yeah. It, it's just, it's, there's no point, like get someone who could hit big because there's going to be guys on the waiver wire that can give you consistency already.
1: For sure. Okay. So we'll talk more about common. Like I, I, I assume most people play in 12 team leagues. That's just kind of the standard that most people play in. I would say. If you have like a normal amount of flex spots, maybe you got two flexes, like two wide receivers, two running backs. I'll just assume that's what your like league format is. I would say you probably want like 33% startable, but like also guys with upside, not just like only startable guys. And then 66% guy, like, of your bench should be like pure upside. So if you have a six, uh, six bench slots, two guys that you can start, but also have upside and then four guys that are almost like pure upside that you probably don't want to start.
0: Yeah. I usually, I just break it. Usually in a 12 team league, I'll have one guy that's kind of like a consistent dude that I can throw in my flex if I need him, and everything else is upside for me. That's usually how I roll. Yeah. That, and of
1: course this definitely um, differs based on the, based on the experience of your league mates. Cause if you're in an experts league where everyone knows what they're doing, no one's going to be rostering guys like Frank Gore and stuff like that, because they know there's no point to doing that. So um, if you're in a more common league, like y- I mean, it might even be better because there's going to be way higher upside guys on the waiver wire. So, um, mm-hmm. and then 14 to 16 team leagues or a league that has like a bunch of flex spots, like the, the Scott fishbowl, for example, um, the, I would say 50, 50, make sure you got enough guys that you can start on your bench in, in bye weeks and in, um, in case of injury, cause you, you, you don't want to be stuck starting Tony Pollard. Like I, I, maybe Tony Pollard has standalone value, but we don't really know that yet. Right. So.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, more players drafted means less players on the waiver wire and basically you don't want to have to be in that spot if if you've got a 16-team league. So,
1: Yep. Okay. And last question here before we get out of here, and we kind of touched on this already, but how should I address defensive kicker? And I mean this from a draft perspective and also in-season. So this is a little bit of in-season advice as well. So again, like I said, do not draft one. Don't draft one. (laughs) Draft a, a high upside player, Handcuff breakout wide receiver, someone you want to watch in the preseason, whoever you can drop them before week one and stream those two positions. If you have them and also just don't play with kickers. So um, uh, in season, in season, what I do in my league, because my league, um, they, while they're not savvy about some things, they are savvy about streaming defenses. So what I do sometimes we have, um, if you have like an, let's say you have eight bench spots, one of my bench spots, I leave open so that I can pick up my defense for next week. Because the, the top defensive streamers are competitive, especially in leagues that people know to stream defenses. Don't just like use Minnesota's defense every single week. They know that the best way to get a high-end defense is to stream it. So I don't hate the idea of looking ahead one week, especially closer to the playoffs too, and, um, and picking up your defensive streamers and stashing them on your bench.
0: Yeah, if you've got deep bench, uh, I don't. I'm not opposed to that. Uh, I am, however, always on the team of hashtag no kicker, hashtag no defense. Just in your league in general, that's just I, I say. It's get rid of those and just add more flex spots because that's the fun stuff that we want to watch, anyways. But if there is defense, definitely, like you said, don't draft them. And yeah, I think uh, defense really can, like totally change a week if you have a good defense. especially on
1: your if depending on your scoring too it can re- like yeah. there was games last year when the patriots defense the i I know I remember there was a game the eagles defense against like um Luke Falk and the jets had like 45 points I was on the receiving oh, end yeah. of that that's why i remember it
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, when we uh, when I start doing DFS and stuff throughout the throughout the season, we're going to talk a lot about defense because it's it's like one of the best places to get an edge, uh, just price wise and everything else. So yeah, defense can flip a whole week, and I think it if your league has defenses, that's something to focus on every week, like trying to play that correctly and get the right one to stream.
1: Yeah. And usually I would say on average, there's going to be two to three like really, like really good streamers every week on the, on the waiver wire for, in terms of defenses. So like I said, if, if everyone in your league knows that they should be streaming defenses, doing it a week early, will probably give you an edge. Cause I'm guessing most of those people aren't picking them up a week in advance. So um, yeah, all that being said, we're going to, we're going to get out of here. Hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, make sure you guys like comment, subscribe, Uh, Post any questions that you have, uh, ideas for shows, all that good stuff. Um, Make sure you guys are uh, hit the link in the Discord or hit the link in the description to join the Discord. We're always uh, engaging with you guys there, talking Dynasty, talking Redraft, um, trade reviews, draft strategy, all that good stuff. So,
0: um, uh, without further ado, guys, enjoy your Monday. Peace out.